0: All right, let me see if I can get an honest answer to an honest question. Who's feeling inspired today? Thank you for that honesty. (laughs) Not quite there yet. We might want to work on that. Well, I think sometimes we, we think about inspiration, you know, almost like motivation, Meaning, because for me, motivation and inspiration are two very separate things. Motivation is like, you know, the coach before you before you're going out onto the field. They're giving you that speech, you know, and that's that's a little little extra motivation to get you out, get you out the door. But it's just it's just like that. It's just a little shot in the arm, a little push out, a little, little thing like that it only lasts long enough to get you out of that door and onto the field. Now, it feels good. You know, and if you, if you go to YouTube and just, you know, put, put in there mo- motivational speech or motivational words, there are hours and hours and hours and hours of motivational stuff out there. But anyway, if you listen to it, you feel really good, but it doesn't carry you very far. It doesn't carry you very far. So, so today, and, and, and I'm, I know you're going to be interested to see how I'm getting there from, with this scripture passage, but here we go. I'm, we're going to talk about being inspired in a different way. And that, in reality, you are inspired in every moment of your life. In every moment of your life, you are inspired. So, just want to set that up for you. Just want you to think about that. We've been for the past several weeks uh, working through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, and as I've said uh, many times, uh, it it is not it is not an easy letter to read. In terms of trying to understand it, paul uh, Paul writes these incredibly long sentences that have lots of things going on in them, and of course he was writing in Greek, and so then we get to translate it into English and try to figure out just exactly you know what what he's trying to say and what words he's trying to use, and so sometimes it can get, it can get a little crazy because our tendency our tendency is to read the Bible like we read. You know, a textbook. We look at the words and we go, "Oh, that's what that means." Well, there's a lot more going on in the Bible than just "Oh, that's what that means." There's a lot of context, a lot of history, a, a, a lot of presuppositions that are going on um, that that really can help make it complicated, but also make it really interesting. Because then, as you get older, as you grow in faith. You, you begin to see different nuances in the text. And every time you come back to read it or you come back to study it, you, you see something a little bit different. And sometimes it can be a lot more challenging. And sometimes it could be a lot more comforting. Or sometimes it might just be a lot more confusing just depending on where you are in the journey. So so as we're walking through Romans, Paul's been making this argument, talking about how the law, and when he talks about the law, he means the Torah, the first, what we call, what we know as the first five books of the Old Testament, or the Hebrew scriptures. And those first five books are really, they're the centerpiece and the foundation of the Jewish faith and practice. And the law, uh, we often think of the law as something that is restrictive, if you think about it, right? If you think about the law about um, the speed limit, uh, I know none of you ever break that law because you don't feel like it's restrictive at all. You know, for us, it's like, that's, well, that's the minimum speed I need to go, right? That's not maximum speed. I see some of you smiling. I see some spouses looking at some other spouses and raising their eyebrows. So I know that this is hitting home a bit. We think of laws often as restrictive. But the Torah really was given as a gift. And it was given as a gift by God because it was describing, it was supposed to be describing, one, how this community came together. How God called this people to be a light to the nations. And then two, it was describing how they were supposed to live. Like, if you're going to be my people, you will do this. If you're going to be my people, you will do this. It was supposed to be a gift. It was supposed to describe the behavior, even if it was described in the negative. It was supposed to be describing behavior about how, how a people who are called to be a gift to the nations are supposed to live. But because we're human, we took this gift, we took this gift and we made it, made it into a negative. We made it into a requirement. We made it into something that didn't lift us up or, or call us to come together. We we used it as something that, that helped push people apart. Because what we said is, you know, if you're not doing this, you're outside of God's purview. So if you're not, and if you're not doing it this way, then you're outside of God's purview. Instead of saying, hey, come on along, this is a great way to live. This is a much better way to live than the way we've been living, it was, no, if you're not doing this, you're out. And so it got twisted. And so Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church at Rome, he's 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 really he's speaking, he's speaking to the to, to the Jewish folks there who who, who have this sort of op, you know, operating mindset with the law, and he's trying to help them understand what Jesus did and, how, and how, how, we turn, how we turned the law into something that wasn't helpful because of sin. He uses that word. Because of our brokenness, we, we turned, we turned a gift, the gift of the law into something unhelpful and what Jesus did with that. I mean, in a sense that we couldn't help ourselves to do that. But in Jesus now, that has all been changed. That has all been changed. So he comes through and we're we're just getting to the eighth chapter. And what he's been in the seventh chapter last week when we were talking about this, he was talking about this tug of war that goes on inside of us and even in our culture, about the right thing to do, whether it's the right thing to do or not. And that we have this tug of war and often even when we know the right thing to do, we don't do it. We don't follow through on our, on our plans and desires. I talked last week about, you know, you know, if you have an exercise plan or you have something like that, you're like, you, you know you need to do it, you have all the reasons lined up, but you just can't do it. You know, even, the, even the good plans that I have, I, just, I, I can't follow through on them. And so he really comes to this place where it feels very negative about human beings. You know, oh, and he says, oh, this wretched man that I am, could, could, I just, could I just die, basically. But then he comes to this. And this is, if you have your phone or you have a Bible, there are Bibles all around, you can, you can, you can go find um, Romans in the New Testament. If you open your Bible to the middle, go back to the back third or so, and uh, Romans is right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So that's the order there. Chapter eight. And so he says this. So just remember now he's been saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Look at me. I'm broken. Um, I can't do the things that I want to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would place a wager to say that almost none of us believe there is no condemnation for us. We know and we have condemned ourselves for things that we have done. Shame and guilt about the past, maybe regret about things that we haven't done, we condemn ourselves just internally all the time. <laughs> you know, we get angry with ourselves, I should have done that, I shouldn't have done that. I, we, 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 do all, we do all this sort of thing. And, I mean, and I'll speak for myself, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's also easy to look around the world or at somebody else and condemn them as well. And so this statement, like, you, like, the first time I read through the, through the passage was thinking about it. I just went right past it. Let's get into the rest of this passage. But this is just, it's sort of mind-blowing to think. Because especially for, for ancient peoples, as, as they thought about their relationship with, with the gods, with the gods, because this whole, this whole thing about one god is a relatively, relatively new idea at this point still, in the history of of humans, Um, their, their main thought was the gods are angry. And I've got to figure out a way to appease the gods so that Zeus doesn't throw a lightning bolt and blow me up. The gods are angry. And so and so for them, in some sense, they're they're trying to do all these rituals and all of these things to try to to try to appease the gods because they believe that there is that they've been condemned. And in a sense, as Paul's writing through here, I mean, it feels it feels pretty heavy, heavy duty because he keeps talking about how we're sinful, how we're broken, how we don't do what we ought to do, how how and, and that the consequences of that is death for us. And that in a sense, as we, when we live into the sin, into our brokenness, that really we're living a, a death life now, if that makes sense. That the life we're living is really death. And so it feels kind of hopeless. But then he says, "...but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." Well, what does it mean to be in Christ? That's the big question, isn't it? What does it mean to be in Christ? I'm going to move on. For the law of the Spirit of life, or because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done, I'm going to read this version, that's up there, just hang on with me. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did I tell you that he writes these long sentences with lots of clauses in them? I mean, there's a lot going on here. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is where we often, this is where we get stuck a lot. Because what he's talking about here is what did Jesus do? What happened in the, in the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? That's the central question, right? How, what, what happened there? Well, what's interesting is that is that really in the, in the scripture, they don't talk about much about what happened. They talk about the result of what happened. They don't spend a whole lot of time talking about how Jesus was resurrected. We get all fascinated about that because we, we want the details and we want the physiology because we just can't believe it because we're, we're, we're post-enlightenment people and we think everything ought to make sense. We, we, have, a hard, we have a really hard time thinking in metaphor and mystery. You know, we, we like this, even though that's not really there. Just ask any particle theorist. Okay, go look that up. We like to know how things are going. But in the scripture, most of the time what we have here is, is, is we, we don't they don't have. Well, you know, uh, how did it happen? They have what happened because of him. And what Paul says here is he dealt with sin. Another way of saying uh, one of the other with translations here is that he was gi- basically he, he was given as a sacrifice for sin. So there, there are two different ways of thinking about what we call the atonement here, about what Jesus did to set us right with God, to, 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 to get rid of sin, to pay for sin, however you want to say that. And just remember, Christians, there's no, dog, there's no one doctrine on what Jesus did, because it's a mystery. But what we know is what, what we hear are the effects of what Jesus did, which is to set us free to be in Christ, to be in the to have the spirit live within us in a new way and to truly live the life that God created us for when God created us in the image of God. So just know that if you're getting hung up on on the how. Or on the what happened, it's. The effect of it is what all the early christians were focused on on what on what paul's focused on here that it's like it's a done deal this is this is something in something that something that happened here fundamentally changed our relationship with god and with each other that set us free from from our constant um, our, our constant actions of turning against god and in some ways against ourselves For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin, He condemns sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so if you read that, and a lot of people have done this because we like to do this. We like to categorize very quickly. That's what we're taught to do in school, which one of these is not like the other. Which category does this does this bird go in? This flower go in? Does this thing go in? You know, here's here's cubism, and here's impressionism, and here's where all we like to sort things out. With this, we like to go, oh, okay, so flesh bad, spirit good. No. It's more of a paradox than that. In the in the passage here, the, the word for flesh is uh is sarks. Which means flesh. <laughs> Tough translation. But all throughout Romans, Paul does is not does not condemn the flesh because he, he says that you know we were we were made in the flesh, in the image and likeness of God. So the flesh is not evil. But what Paul is but but, but throughout this, Paul talks about all the time that we are obedient to something. We are always following something or giving our, giving our flesh to something. And that most often what we do is we give our flesh over to brokenness and to sin. That's what we're obedient to, not obedient to the Spirit. And so it's not that the flesh is the issue, it's what the flesh is obedient to. Again, I mean, this is really nuancy. That's a new word, by the way, nuancey. Um, It's it's really, it's really, I mean, it's really, it is really hard to understand. But if you think about it, you know, if your allegiance is here, it's very difficult to have your allegiance over here. If you're, again, let's go back to that, let's go back to that sports metaphor. If you're signed, if you you sign with, you know, Randolph-Macon College to play football, you can't go play football for UVA. Your flesh is obedient over here. And so that's what Paul's saying is he's saying the problem is with our flesh is that that we we have a difficult time choosing who to be obedient to. And we oftentimes choose brokenness and sin. We choose against other people. We choose against ourselves. But but what he said is that but in Christ Jesus, that has all been transcended. That has all been transformed. Now, now our flesh can be obedient because we are now in Christ. We are now in Christ. Because of what Jesus did, because of who he is, because of that mystery of what happened there, we are now in Christ. And you are not in the flesh any longer. You are in what? The spirit. That's the next thing he goes to. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so here's what this means it means you are inspired every single day. Because what does inspired mean? It means in the Spirit. We think inspired means woohoo! Literally means in the Spirit. You are inspired. Every single day. This goes back to the Old Testament when God, you know, it's talking about God forms up the mud man or the mud person and God breathes God's spirit into Adam, the mud man, and he is animated. Adam is inspired and lives. In Christ then, We are reconnected to that spirit. Because our allegiance in the flesh has been away from that. But in Christ, Christ reconnects us to the spirit. And so now we are in the spirit. But if Christ is in you... The spirit is in you. Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. There's this interesting piece about justice and righteousness and how and how when we're in the spirit, then we live into the shalom, the peace and the wholeness of God. It's another way of of saying that righteousness and justice. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies Also through his spirit that dwells in you. So now you've been given a new life because you're inspired. You have been transformed in the spirit. And you have a new life. A life that does not need to be obedient to the flesh and to brokenness. To setting, to pushing people away. To creating division and hostility. To condemning yourself and condemning others when you are inspired when you are in the spirit you can see what God sees and that is that every human being was created in the image of God every human being is holy and honorable every human being needs the opportunity to grow and to live to hear this message of hope and grace and not to be condemned because in Jesus Christ There is no condemnation. And when we start to get that, and we start to live our lives without that brokenness hanging over our heads, hanging in our hearts, all that shame, all of that guilt can get dealt with and redeemed and transformed in the Spirit, and we live a new life. You are inspired every single day. It's not a feeling It's a fact. You know, that's one of my favorite phrases. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. You are in the Spirit every single day. You have the opportunity to live out that obedience to the Spirit, to be generous and gracious and loving, to work for the kingdom of God right here and right now. No line, no waiting. Christ is calling you into this new life and in fact has already given it to you. That's the other paradox. It is already in you and it is waiting to be shared with the entire world if we will live that transformed in the spirit inspired life that God has for us. And so that's what I, I want you to, invite, to be invited into today. I want you to think about whatever guilt and shame that you have, whatever regrets, whatever fears that have been keeping you from doing the things that you want to do with your life, the way you want to bless others with, with your life, the way you want to help yourself and help others, the kind of, the kind of relationships you want to have, Maybe even the kind of business you want to build. Maybe the way you want to show up at work. Whatever it is, whatever guilt, shame, regret, whatever anxiety has been keeping you from doing that. I want you to lift that up to Christ in our prayers today. Because there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. You are inspired in the spirit, in that new life to do whatever it is that Christ is calling you to do and to become whoever it is Christ is calling you to be right here and right now. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because you are inspired in Christ Jesus.